Red. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And yeah, no cold open this week because it's my show. I can do whatever I want. Um, This week, uh, part three. We're doing a part three. Uh, Just decided to pretty much take more than a year off between parts two and three, but we're doing it anyway. Again, my show. I can do whatever I want. Uh, But we are looking at uh, uh, four more early Christian martyrs. Uh, We're looking at the stories of uh, Simforosa, Quiteria, Lawrence, and Sebastian, uh, all of these have been uh, canonized and made saints by the Catholic Church, uh, and then probably some other denominations see them as saints too. I don't know. I don't know how all of that works, but uh, but yeah. And um, you know, look, here's the thing. All right, um, like as with uh, the paranormal topics on this show, we're gonna just assume that these are a hundred percent true stories. Um, and I'm going real hard on this, which is going to make some people uncomfortable, but like, you know, I, I don't know. We'll go through these. Uh, I have some doubts as to, um, the, uh, veracity of these stories, but, uh, I mean, come on guys, they gotta be true. All right. Church, early church people wouldn't lie about things, right? Not about Jesus and, and stuff about their faith in Jesus. No one would lie about those things, right? All right. I'm getting into it too far. <laughs> Let's jump into story time. Story time. Our first story, hopefully my voice doesn't make weird noises again. I did it like twice. It's weird. Our first story is of uh, Sinforosa, uh, who lived at about 138 AD. Uh, she was a nice Christian lady and the widow of Getulius, who was a former Roman soldier who left his post to become a Christian. Uh, obviously, early Roman Empire, very anti-Christian. You didn't want you didn't want to do that because you do that, you're gonna get killed, and he did. And as punishment, uh, Getulius and three other men were ordered to be burned at the stake. Now, allegedly, the fire did not even touch these gentlemen, so they were clubbed to death because God can apparently protect you from fire, but not a club. So there's that. Um, (laughs) When Emperor Hadrian completed his palace at Tiber, which is now Tivoli, Italy, uh, when he did that 18 years later, he needed to have it dedicated to his pagan gods. Now, allegedly, though, uh, his pagan gods told him, all right, pagan gods told Roman Emperor Hadrian, they told him this, uh, that they were being tormented by Symphorosa and her seven sons. So, like, Symphorosa is just out here living, living life as, like, little pagan tormentor, her and her seven sons, and that's preventing... Roman Emperor Hadrian from completing and dedicating his palace. Right? We all believe this. So, the gods told him, quote, this is a direct quote, uh, if she and her sons offer sacrifice, we promise to give you all that you ask for. So, Hadrian took this information and he tried to bribe Symphoros into offering the sacrifices to his pagan gods. Obviously, that didn't work, so then he tried to force her to do it. 
when that didn't work, she uh, he then ordered her to be brought to the Temple of Hercules to be tortured and then thrown into the Anio River with a boulder tied around her neck. Um, that killed her. Symphoros is dead. All right. It's not, it's not a very uh, triumphant story. But uh, so with her out of the way, Hadrian then summoned her seven sons to the palace and tried to make them offer the sacrifices to the pagans. Uh, when they refused, he ordered them all to be tied to stakes around the temple and then have them disjointed with a windlass, which was this ancient machine that was designed to like move heavy weights around and construct buildings. And then once their arms and legs were dislocated, Hadrian then ordered them all to be killed differently. And guess what, you guys? I have how all seven sons were killed. This is honestly the only reason I put this story in is because this is pretty gnarly. Um, Crescens was stabbed through his throat. I don't know. I don't know how that's different from like being decapitated. I guess, I guess maybe if you're just, if you get like one arrow, like right through the throat, it doesn't decapitate you, but it would then. Yeah. Anyway, um, Eugenius was just ripped in half. Cool. Uh, Julian was stabbed through his chest. Justinus, Justinus was stabbed through his back, which I guess it's just the opposite of being stabbed. through. Anyway, um, Nemesius was stabbed through his heart, which would also be stabbed through his chest. Um, Primitivus was stabbed through his belly button. Weird. Uh, and then Stractius was stabbed through his side. And then all of the bodies were thrown into a ditch. And after that, Hadrian and the pagan gods lived in peace for the next 18 months before uh, all the Christians started causing trouble again. So, sure. Um, the next story here is of Kitaria, who was one of nine daughters fathered by the Prince of Galicia, or Galicia, uh, which is a region in modern-day Portugal, uh, and it was around uh, 200. Uh, she was the leader of the Nonaplet sisters, which included Basilisa, Umelia, Gima, Ginebra, Hermana, Liberata, Marica, and Vittoria. Uh, my accent, on point. Um, her mother, though, was so ashamed and disgusted that she had given birth to nine daughters all at once. This was all at once. All right, remember Octomom? Now you got Nonaplet Mom, all right? She gave birth to nine daughters, just like a litter, a litter of vaginas just fell right out. And she was so ashamed and disgusted by that because apparently... And I think we back can back this up with a lot, a lot of historical evidence. Women just not wanted. You didn't want to have a baby girl when when you were living in those times. Um, some places you still don't want to have them. And so this woman so disgusted uh, that she ordered her maid to take all of these newborn girls down to the river and drown them. And uh, the prince of, of Galatia somehow had no idea that any of this was going on. But uh, instead of drowning all of these babies, the maid dispersed the children throughout the village to be raised by various people. Uh, and by the time they had grown into adults, they openly opposed the worship of the Roman gods and were brought before uh, the prince to stand trial. Their dad. Uh, the prince immediately recognized them as his daughters and tried to have them marry various Roman military officers, which is just that's a weird response and a weird twist to the story. Because, all right, first of all, all right. They had grown into adults. So let's say 18, maybe back then 12. And he immediately recognizes them. This is assuming that this Prince of Galatia 
had never seen his own daughters. And then all of a sudden they just show up opposing and protesting the worship of these pagan gods. And he's like, Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know what accent Portuguese is. These are my daughters. I really don't know what accent Portuguese is. So now I have to save them and I'm going to make them marry because I am a dad. And that's what I do with my daughters. I make them marry people. So all nine women refused, of course, and they were subsequently locked in a tower. Somehow, though, all nine of them escaped into the forest and then began waging guerrilla warfare against their father's troops as they tried to you know, capture them and bring them back. Um, Quiteria was eventually captured in Gascony, uh, which is a region in southwestern France. But rather than being taken back to her father, she was just decapitated on the spot. Why that got her venerated and and sanctified, I don't know. The story was not super clear on that. Um, her sister, Eumelia, was chased into the mountains of Portugal, where she then hurled herself off of a cliff in order to avoid capture. Uh, and then just as she was about to splatter herself all over the ground, a hole in the earth opened up and swallowed her. And then when the hole closed, a hot spring formed. Seems plausible. Um, our next story here, that's the end of the story, by the way. Real sparse on the details. Uh, is the story of uh, St. Lawrence, who was born on December 31st in 225 in Valencia, Spain. Uh, early on, Lawrence met uh, the future Pope Sixtus II, and the two left Spain to move to Rome to do church things. Uh, when Sixtus became Pope, he then made Lawrence the first of the seven deacons to serve in the Roman church, which was a really highly esteemed position somehow. I don't get it. Um, as part of his new job, Lawrence was entrusted with handling the church's finances and making donations to the poor, as churches should do. Uh, in August of 258, Emperor Valerian issued an edict stating that all bishops, priests, and deacons needed to die immediately. Because this was like kind of around that time where the Roman Empire, depending on who the emperor was, would like change from like, hey, Christianity is awesome, yay, we're good, and then that emperor would get assassinated. And then the new emperor would be like, uh, no, dog, Christianity, super not cool. All you guys got to die. And then that guy would be assassinated. And the new guy would be like, JK, dogs, going back to Christianity. So it was like this weird back and forth. So Sixtus was captured on August 6th, uh, 258, and was quickly executed. Uh, Rome's prefect at the time then demanded that Lawrence turn over all of the church's money to the empire. Um, and so Lawrence, you know, he's trying to figure out what he needed to do. So he asked for three days in order to gather up all the money because the church was making bank. Of course they were. But over the next three days, this is cool though, Lawrence gave away as much money as he could to the poor. And when it came time to present the wealth to the prefect, Lawrence then just brought out this horde of like crippled, blind, and just otherwise sickly people and declared that they were the true treasures of the church. So he's like making this big, big statement here. It's just like, Lawrence, give us the money of the church. Yes, sir, Mr. Prefect, sir. I will bring out all of the treasure that the church has. Come on out, everybody. And then you just got all these, all these homeless, crippled people coming out. What is this? Mr. Prefect, it's all the treasure of the church. It's the church is not the treasure full of money. It's a treasure full of happy souls. And, like, obviously, Prefect, not happy about this. So, on August 10th, 
Uh, Lawrence was sent to prison where he began baptizing all of the prisoners. And when it came time for his execution, he was placed on a grill with hot coals beneath it. All right. I believe this because the Romans were super hardcore about how they executed people. Uh, and, but Lawrence, he laid on this hot grill for several hours, but didn't die. And this is a fun quote. Um, he eventually shouted, I'm a well done on the Disa side to turn me over. He probably didn't say it like that, but those were the words that he used. And I like, I like the idea of him saying it like that all fun in Italian. Um, but he ended up did dying shortly thereafter, probably cooked to perfection. All right. Uh, our last story here uh, is of St. Sebastian, whose story begins in 283 when he joined uh, the Roman army under Emperor Carinus. Um, during this time, Emperor Carinus was one of those anti-Christian emperors, so they were busy on another Christian genocide. And, but Sebastian, he hid his Christianity, and he did what he could to help any martyrs that he encountered along the way. Um, he even ascended the ranks to become captain of the Praetorian Guard, which was like the SEAL Team 6 of the Roman military. Um, and he did this under Diocletian and Maximian, two other very famous Roman emperors. Uh, but when two men, Marcus and Marcellian, who were twin brothers who served as deacons in the Roman church, refused to sacrifice to the Roman gods, they were arrested and sent to prison. Now, their parents visited these two guys in prison who then pleaded with them to renounce their Christianity. Sebastian, who was on guard at the time, stepped in and converted uh, Marcus and Marcellian's parents to Christianity. Uh, he then also converted this guy named Tibertius, who was the local prefect, and Nicostratus, who was just another official in the area. Uh, Nicostratus's wife, Zoe, uh, who had been mute for the last six years, magically just regained her speech after she was converted. She's probably faking it, more than likely. Um, you know, probably uh, was a Christian and then just decided to stop talking to everybody to make sure that she wasn't murdered. And then once her husband converted, she probably felt a little more comfortable and decided to start talking again. But no, it was a miracle of salvation, for sure. Um, after about three years of hiding his Christianity and freeing every prisoner he converted, uh, Diocletian actually figured out what Sebastian was doing and ordered that he be led out to a field and bound to a stake. From there, uh, Mauritanian archers, who are obviously the most lethal of all the author, uh, archers from uh, I guess more, more Mauritanius, Mauritanius. I don't know, but the Mauritanian archers, they were brought out, uh, and they would start sniping Sebastian with their bows and arrows from a great distance. Uh, and within minutes, this is a quote from a historian. Uh, Sebastian was quote, as full of arrows as an urchin is full of pricks, which is great imagery. Fantastic. However, Sebastian did not die from this. And, uh, when a woman went up to uh, a woman named Irene went up to retrieve his body for burial, she found that he was still alive and then instead just brought him back to her house after plucking out all of the arrows and nursing him back to health. Sebastian showed up to Diocletian's court and gave him just kind of a stern talking to about what he was doing to Christians. He was like, a Diocletian, it's the same voice as the last guy because it's an Italian, it's all I can do. But you got to stop persecuting the Christians. We're very good people haven't done nothing wrong to you. Diocletian, on the other hand, he was pretty shocked that Sebastian was still alive because he saw him get just pincushioned with all kinds of arrows. Um, 
he then quickly ordered Sebastian to be taken out, beaten with sticks, and thrown in the sewer. And that was somehow enough to kill him. A horde of, of professional archers, just pricking, like just full acupuncture treatment to this guy, doesn't kill him. Takes a couple of sticks to the head, gets tossed in the sewer. That does it. Makes no sense. Um, eventually, a lady named Lucinda retrieved his body and buried him in the cemetery of Calixtus, which is now home of uh, the bas- Basilica of St. Sebastian. So there we go. Um, four stories, but they were all pretty short. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, if if you're a religious person, you might want to just sit the rest of this episode out. We'll see you next week. Bye. Um, I have, I like, I went pretty hard on these stories, skeptically. I took a very uh, similar approach to how I look at these paranormal stories, just with logic and reasoning. And uh, it just... A lot of the elements in these stories seem highly fabricated. And like, why? Why would you lie about these sorts of things? And and it's it's all part of just this bigger sort of feeling that I've had about religion in general. Um, you know, I was raised in a Christian school. I was raised in the church. Uh, you know, was taught that like everything in the Bible and everything that happened in the early church was totally literal, totally definitely happened and that it was all magical and the, and the will of God. And, and the more that I look at it and the more you just look at things plainly and, and take them for what they are, but also understanding historical context and, and cultural context, especially in early Jewish culture, a lot of it doesn't stand up. You know, um, and, and I and I've been working on a book. It might be complete now. I'm not going to promote it, but I, I've been working on a book just that that lays out all of the very at least what I feel are very obvious holes in the logic of organized religion, more specifically Christianity. And I know a lot of you listening because I know my audience um, you're, you're somewhat too very religious and, and look, here's the thing. I don't care if you disagree with me on that. I don't care, uh, what you actually end up believing. Like if that belief system and that lifestyle works for you and you're truly happy living in it, go for it by all means. I'm, I would much rather other people be happy than, feel like they are forced to live inside of a framework that ends up causing them to ask more questions than they have the answers for. And, and that's where I found myself, you know, especially as I got into college and then I kind of spent my twenties, you know, I, you know, I got out of church and everything in college. And then when I got out on my own, I was like, man, you know, I should probably get back into church and, and, you know, kind of get back into that life. But then as I saw it, and as I started to get back into it, I was like, no, this just isn't it. You know, I thought it was it. It was not, not for me anyway. And I know it works for a lot of people. A lot of people find comfort in it. A lot of people find community in it. And that's great. I honest, and it's not me being sarcastic. Like I truly am happy for you. And I hope it, I hope it really works out for you. It just didn't work out for me. 
And the, the nice thing about it is that at the end of the day, we all have the things that we believe, all right? Especially when it comes to uh, creation uh, and the afterlife, you know, what happens when we die? Uh, how did the world come to be? Is there a God? All of that. All of those things are beliefs rooted in faith and not fact whatsoever. And you can't debate people on that. You can only debate facts. And the fact is, at least with religion, is that you have no evidence to truly prove the existence of whatever God you claim to, to, to worship. And that's fine. All right. At, you know, it, whatever you need to be able to go to sleep at night, that's you. That's your thing. All right. It may not be someone else's thing, but it's your thing. And, and, and take pride in that because it's unique to you and no one can take that away from you. All right. So like, you know, we can debate and have conversations about it all we want. I'm never going to try to convince you that you're wrong because I just, I I don't want to take something from you that means a lot. All right. All I can do is present to you why I believe what I believe and I can show you how I got there. But I, I, I would never, I would never want to try to convince you that you're wrong. All right. You need to, I, I just, I encourage everyone to find those answers for themselves. And if you can do that and if you can go on that journey uh, and and figure out what it is that um, that that you truly believe in, then by all means do that. I cannot encourage that enough. Um, but yeah, you know if you're if you're curious uh, about my own journey and and the things that I've learned and studied, I, I'm sure the book is on my website if it's done. Um, but I'm not going to heavily promote it just because I I don't feel as though I am a true authority piece to, um, you know, authoritatively talk about those things. It's there. I, and I'm sharing it for people who want to know, but I'm not, I'm not going to position myself in that arena, um, as any sort of, of authoritative source on that. So with all of that being said, uh, we should probably see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, I am a hellbound heathen who mocks the religion of many people. No, I don't know. Probably not. I'm sure some of you may have taken offense to the way I, I told those stories. And, you know, I would like to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. Um, number two. Uh, shoot, man. I don't know. One guy got grilled to death. Sure. Uh, and then number three. Uh Sebastian got shot full of air. I don't know, man. I, this isn't even this isn't even a good segment right now. <laughs> now.
next week on Our Weird World if you do decide to come back, if I haven't alienated you and offended you completely. Uh, we're going to look at two stories of uh, just a couple of really awful massacres that took place in history. Um, it'll be the stories of Martin Bryant and Michael Ryan. And um, those names may not mean a lot to you. Um, you've probably heard Martin Bryant's story. Um, it was um, one of the biggest mass shootings in Australian history and actually uh, led to a ton of sweeping gun reform. It was the Port Arthur shooting uh, in, in Australia. Uh, Michael Ryan, slightly uh, a little lesser known uh, ma- uh, mass shooting uh, that took place in England. Um, but yeah, just a couple of, of crazy stories and just how they all, how they both played out. And we're going to look at both of those next week. And you probably get to hear my thoughts on gun control, which is what everybody's here for, right? I'll make it. I'll make it. it you'll see. It's actually pretty genius. Um, and I'm going to solve all of the world's problems next week. So, uh, thank you for listening. Um, seriously, like if you want to discuss, uh, religion and philosophy, I'm totally down to do it. Um, it's just weird kind of talking about it out loud. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to chat with, with anybody who wants to chat about it. Otherwise, uh, thank you for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. (laughs) 